Hello, my friends. I have um, an article for you today. Meditation, neuroscience, psychedelics. Who am I? Who are you? Who are we? Uh, published June 8th, 2020. I'll include the link in the details of the episode so you can link to it if you're interested in looking at it. So it's broken up into parts. Part one is consciousness. In the spirit of that burning curiosity which fueled Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson to overcome all the obstacles in his way to pursue his passion for science, I want to invite us to spend some time reflecting on some of the basic questions at the foundation of scientific inquiry. Who am I? Who are you? Who are we? Those three questions may seem simple, but if you keep asking them and looking closely, you'll find that they can take you down quite a rabbit hole. <clears throat> As our guide, I'll be drawing from the book Conscious, A Brief Guide to Fundamental Mystery of Mind by Annika Harris. She's a best-selling science writer who also happens to be married to Sam Harris, neuroscientist and best-selling author whose books some of you may know. There are some things I really love about Sam Harris's work and other aspects I strongly disagree with, but that would be another post in itself. <clears throat> For now, I will say that similar to the curiosity about the universe that led Neil deGrasse Tyson to become an astrophysicist, curiosity about consciousness itself is the driving motivation behind Annika Harris's book. And if you stop to consider, it really is quite strange that billions of years of evolution resulted in consciousness, in self-awareness, in sentience. We humans are made of the same elemental particles as the stars, as if, as is everything in the universe. But the remarkable truth, as one eco-theologian theologian has put it, it, is that we humans are, stardust now evolved to the place that stardust can think about itself. We are the universe becoming conscious of itself. We are stardust, that has begun to contemplate the stars. That truth is mind-blowing enough on its own that we could fruitfully stop there and ponder a long while. But Harris challenges us to press on, zoom out, and ask the further question of what else in the universe is conscious in addition to humanity? What else has self-awareness and sentience? Are our common household pets, dogs, cats, conscious? Most of us would say clearly yes, even if our pets have less sentience than we do. What about plants and trees? Are they conscious? That's a harder call. But those of you who remember my post a little more than a year ago, The Hidden Life of Trees, or if you've read the incredible book by the same title, know that there is a growing amount of scientific evidence of sentience in plants, even if, again, less consciousness than in animals. And if we take Darwin's idea of the descent of man seriously, as we should, doesn't it make sense that if we are conscious that, the sum, that some of those beings we evolved from would also have some forms of sentience? But what happens if we zoom out even further? What about bacteria or a rock? Are they conscious? The further down the tree of life we go, the more difficult it is to find evidence of sentience. But, as Harris writes, at some point along the spectrum, the answer is yes. The great mystery lies in why the lights turn on for some collections of matter in the universe. 
For we humans with our advanced consciousness, who are self-reflexively aware of our awareness, what have we discovered about sentience in ourselves and others? Well, here's where it's helpful that Annika Harris is married to a neuroscientist who has also been quite open about experimenting with psychedelics. Let's start with neuroscience, then move on to psychedelics. Section 2, Neuroscience. One of the most interesting and challenging discoveries scientists have found through brain scans is that we humans become conscious of events slightly after they have occurred. Let me say more about that. Whenever something happens in the world around you, sense data comes in through your five senses, traveling different distances through your nervous system to your brain, at which point the signals get synchronized through a process called binding and only then do they enter your conscious experience. Take, for instance, the example of kicking a soccer ball. At slightly different speeds, your brain receives impulses about the sensations from your foot touching the ball that has to travel a relatively long distance from your foot up the nerves in your leg and further up through your spinal cord to your brain. The popping sound, your foot hitting the ball, that likewise creates sound waves that travel to your ears that then send information to your brain. Your visual tracking of the action, that has a comparatively short distance to travel from your eye to your brain. There may also be saliva or other tastes in your mouth, various smells coming in through your nose, or any number of other data. Your brain collects all those separate pieces of sense data, synchronizes them together, and only then does that, that edited version enter your consciousness. To reiterate the insight we're being invited to come to terms with, neuroscience invites us to wrestle with the strange truth that we live slightly in the past. The brain knows before the conscious mind does. Our conscious self is only aware of the edited version of what the brain produces. Indeed, multiple brain scan experiments have shown that researchers can reliably detect the brain activity signaling impending movements, such as the decision to move a finger about a half a second before subjects feel they make the conscious decision to move. <clears throat> you might be thinking, what? That's some wild stuff with serious implications that are not yet fully understood about the interplay between our body and our brain on the one hand and our mind, our sentience, and our consciousness on the other. After all, what does it mean if another person watching a scan of your brain can know what you're going to do before you do? If you're interested in learning more, there's a good short introductory chapter in Annika Harris's book, Conscious, on Is Consciousness Free? Although the whole book is a short and quick, although the whole book is a short and quick, there's a lot of editing errors in this article, so um, it's not the article I thought I was going to be reading today. I'm going to have to really dig and find that one because I love the, article, the other article that I want to bring forward. So hopefully I find that today and publish it today also. Um, this one has a lot of errors and I like want to get out my red pen and edit it. Um, okay, so she says it's short and quick, so it's worth reading in full. Um, or you could go straight to the full book length treatment on this topic like 
with Michael Gazzaniga's The Consciousness Instinct. Um, Side note for listeners, there are a lot of different things out there on consciousness, so um, I would do a quick search and see what your options are and see what resonates with you because there's lots of books now available on consciousness. I prefer the yogic science books because it's 5,000 years old and just seems to make sense to me, but there are a lot of new authors and researchers and scientists that publish books about consciousness also. Um, Okay, so continuing. All of this takes us back to those deceptively simple questions with which we began. Who are you anyway? Who am I? Who are we? Most of us, including myself, often live with a sense of ourself as floating separately from our bodies and periodically telling our bodies what to do. Well, I don't know if most of us do. Um, But neuroscience challenges us to consider that the sense of our conscious will inhabiting our head is an illusion akin to thinking that the earth is stationary with the sun rotating around us. From our everyday perspective, the earth does appear to to be still and the sun does appear to rise over us in the east and set in the west. Despite this illusion, however, science has shown us that the earth is actually moving constantly, both rotating on its own axis and revolving around the sun. Or take our current COVID-19 pandemic to our ancestors, such plagues may have seemed like magic or a curse. But science has shown us the bizarre truth that a microscopic virus invisible to the naked eye is able to slow our civilization down to a halt. Yeah, nature in charge, flexing her muscles, Gaia. Um, (laughs) um, Okay, back to neuroscience. Although it may feel like our conscious mind is floating outside our brain, in controlling our body, science challenges us that the directionality may be exactly the opposite. For instance, I suspect each of us can think of examples in which you have witnessed intoxication, drugs or alcohol, um, or disease such as Alzheimer's, or traumatic injury impacts someone's brain, or your own brain such that you or they seem no longer their self. But what does that really mean? The more you pay attention over time, the clearer it is that there is no one persistent self. That I definitely agree with. Um, we're constantly evolving. <coughs> so the la- the next section, section three, ooh, this should be interesting, is meditation. I've never read this. This is the first time I've read this article. I don't know. Um, didn't pop up the article I expected. So this is pretty interesting. Um Having laid the above groundwork, we can now begin to trace a fascinating intersection between modern neuroscience, psychedelic experience, and ancient Buddhist meditation practices. Well, from the above, I really don't think we know yet how to involve psychedelic experiences in this, so hopefully she actually describes that. Did she forget she didn't describe that section yet before? Um, I'm scrolling up to make sure she that I didn't miss something. No, she explained consciousness, neuroscience, and section three, meditation. Okay. Um, 
On the one hand, some of the neuroscience I've been sharing with you can feel disturbing to our sense of self, and rightly so. I don't see how, but okay. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, anyone who has spent, spent a fair amount of time hanging out in the meditation circles may find a lot of the, those discoveries standard fair. Oh, okay, I guess, yeah, that's why. I'm pretty familiar with this stuff. Um, 21st century technology like EEGs, confirming what meditators have been telling us for millennia, or, or our sense of self is a delusion. Don't get me wrong, it's a useful delusion, but a delusion nonetheless, not unlike the illusion that the sun is rotating around the earth when the reality is quite different. In the Buddhist tradition, the teaching of non-self is one of the three most important insights often called the three marks of existence. One classic metaphor for non-self is a braided rope. These metaphor can also clarify, no, this metaphor can also clarify that the point is less that the braided rope, our sense of self, doesn't exist. Rather, both the rope and our sense of self can be unbraided into their component parts and or rebraided through drugs, disease, injury, tra trauma, aging, and other experiences into different selves. And this is where we need to bring back in all that stuff we learned earlier about how brains synchronize and bind all the desperate data from our five senses together before passing that edited information to our brains. Okay, so my side note here, because I don't know if that's increasing clarity or causing confusion with how she's describing these things to me it seems like there's a much simpler way to describe what she's attempting to describe which maybe is a literary like um since she's writing an article she's adding extra words and trying to make it i don't know more of an article but she does make things that are pretty simple seem very complicated with all these extra words and attempts at explaining using metaphors and whatnot um but like the non-self the rope the braided rope if you think about the braided rope and you think about not just um the different parts of self physically but you can also use that braided rope to think about all your different bodies so each piece of the braided rope is a different one of your bodies like your subtle body your physical body um, and your cosmic body you know all those together braided together make up your full system your full self um, and you can dissect using your intellect and take it apart and look at each thing individually um, and then you can all, you know, put it back together as a braided rope and see it as a whole. Um, you can use that same metaphor for all parts of self and mind. So like the mind has multiple parts, including ego and, um, emotion. And each one of those is a part of that braided rope and together it creates mind, you know? So the braided rope is a great metaphor to use. Um, and you can use it for a lot of different things to understand wholeness, oneness, the whole holistic mentality. Um, so continuing in the article, she definitely made a lot of errors in this article. Um, and if I would have read this before, I'm not sure if I would have pulled this, but I am happy that we are going through it. Um, 
So she continues, a lot of what meditation is about, especially Vispana or insight meditation, is a simple practice of noting all the separate sensations that make up our moment-to-moment experience. And when scientists do brain scans of meditators who have spent many hours doing such practices, they find that when experienced meditators practice meditation, a part of their brains called the default mode network is suppressed. It's also known as the DMN for short. And now I understand where she's going. So I feel like this is maybe a psychedelics-based article who's giving a whole bunch of information first so that way it builds a premise so that way you guys understand when it gets into explaining about the psychedelics how the psychedelics come into relation with all these other things which I understand the writing style now Um, but I think it could have been a little bit edited and altered to make it easier to understand for people that are coming in with less base knowledge on all these different topics Um, so and that's a potentially very interesting neuroscience correlate to awakening or enlightenment experiences in which one's sense of self drops away completely well okay I'm just not even going to continue to nitpick this article and just keep reading it so part four psychedelics And finally, we can also bring in the burgeoning field of psychedelic research. Just as long-term meditation can suppress the brain's default mode network, brain scans of people taking psychedelics show a disruption in a particular circuit in the brain's default mode network, which causes people under the influence of psychedelics to lose their sense of self. Common experiences from using psychedelics include floating, finding inner peace, distortions in time, and a conviction that the self is disintegrating. Um, In addition, don't miss this particular important insight. When people on psychedelics report that their sense of self drops away, consciousness remains fully present. Let me repeat that. For people on psychedelics, when the sense of self drops off, consciousness remains fully present. Right, you're still awake and aware but the sense of self falls away while you're still awake and aware is what she's trying to say. Presence and awareness remain. There, she says it, finally. She's very wordy, unnecessarily. Keep that in mind in conjunction with the neuroscience we considered earlier that researchers can reliably detect the brain activity signaling impending movements, such as the decision to move a finger about half a second before subjects feel they make the conscious decision to move. Then ask yourself, who am I, who are you, who are we? So a pause and a side note on the psychedelic stuff so far. Um, Yes, they say, she's saying when people are under the influence of psychedelics, some people may lose sense of self. Um, And when we're talking about you doing this in meditation, The difference is in meditation, there is no substance that's altering your body chemistry and you're naturally doing this without any additive. So when you're using a psychedelic and you have this 
loss of sense of self and ego is affected and it falls away. The idea is to be able to integrate that feeling into your life when you're no longer under the influence of the psychedelic. So the integration process so that way um, you're actually able to draw upon that without using the substance in the future. You'd be able to experience it and then once you experience it you can use it to open the door and then do it naturally through meditation um, is is an option rather than continuously going back to the drugs to achieve this um, sense of loss of self or ego um, detachment and the, the things that happen the idea is to open those doors in the brain, allow that reprogramming to happen, and then train your mind, not just use the drugs. It's not about using drugs repeatedly um, when it comes to healing anyway or expanding consciousness um, because these things are all possible without using substances. The idea is that some people could benefit from using the substances to actually open the door, especially if there's been some sort of trauma um, or other things that need healing, repressed memories and emotions, things like that, the drug is able to bring forward, whereas um, without it, our mind keeps it locked away to protect ourselves. And from what I have experienced, to protect our own psyche, right? Um, and then that's why people need to be cautious and make sure set and setting, you know, your mindset and your setting, the location of where you are, if you are going to be using these things, it's so important um, because you are opening doors and those doors are closed for a lot of people for protection, our own survival. Our brain shuts those doors to keep us functioning and to move us forward. Um, but now with these different options, we have the option to open these doors, heal the things that are behind those doors, and then come through the other side um, healed and just a more balanced individual. Um, so continuing the article, she says, if you are interested in learning more, I highly recommend Michael Pollan's excellent book. She's really plugging a lot of authors here. Um, at this point, I should state clearly that I am not recommending that anyone break the law, but there is increasingly strong scientific evidence that the laws should be changed to allow for responsible therapeutic use of psychedelics. It is also crucial to add that with psychedelics, as well with meditation, not only can the sense of self drop away, but also a felt sense can arise of what the seventh principle in my own chosen tradition of Unitarian Universalism calls the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Right, so in that she's talking about that feeling of oneness that people experience in meditation um, and people describe during psychedelic experiences sometimes having. Um, the idea, again, I'm going to reinforce my own opinion about it. Um, the idea is to be able to 
open the door to this feeling of oneness somehow. And once that door is open, then to remain in that feeling of oneness. Um, so it's a natural state of being and you, you feel like you're at one with everything and it improves your health and wellness, your mentality, your mindset, your vibes, your energy, and then your connection with um, everything. Realizing that you are a part of everything and connected to everything um, allows you to have a deeper connection. Um, so I'm just going to get through the rest of this article. And here's why, where we come full circle to that video of the African-American astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson advocating to tear down all the barriers blocking human beings from doing what they love and build up systems of collective flourishing in which we are all free to pursue what we are passionate about. Okay, sorry. So yeah, the article started with this little paragraph about Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Black History Month and stuff. I had no idea how it related to this article at all. So I started it and then I restarted the podcast because it didn't seem very relevant and it really kind of doesn't other than it throws yet another famous name into her article and it is inspiring. Gosh, he is an inspiring man. No doubt about it. Um, so finishing up, Along these lines, one of my favorite terms for what it means to live out of a felt sense of interdependence is Ubuntu, which comes from the Zulu tradition of South Southern Africa. I learned it from Desmond Tutu, who was inspired by Ubuntu to create the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Ubuntu has been translated variously as, I am because we are. Uh, I am because we are. I love that. Um, humanity towards others or a universal bond of sharing that connects all humanity. Um, that's pretty. It's not just humanity though. It's also everything um, that's surrounding humanity. Nature. We are nature. We're not disconnected at all. We are part of that system. It's interdependent. Without nature, we don't survive Nature doesn't need us. We need nature. Um, both spirituality and science invite us to realize the profound truth that we are not isolated selves, even if we feel that way sometimes. We are deeply interconnected with one another and with many other sentient beings on this planet who are at various points on the spectrum of consciousness. From this perspective, for instance, we notice that the recent headlines about SpaceX unduly centered our place on this planet. When the news proclaims that the SpaceX crew launched into space to dock at the International Space Station, sure that's true in a sense, but it's also true that we have always already been floating in space on this blue marble we call Earth. That's the deeper, more significant truth of the cosmic situation in which we find ourselves. Just as astronauts learn to slip the surly bonds of Earth, May we humans get better at learning to slip the surly bonds of ego that hold us back from one another. May we transcend the historically con contingent social constructions of ethnicity and tribe. May we live into a felt sense of global interdependence as we float together on this beautiful and fragile planet. Fragile? I don't know how fragile Earth is. Earth is 
is definitely gentle but fierce um and may we open ourselves more fully not to i think there i am but to the deeper truth that i am because we are that's who i am that's who you are that's who we are realizing the truth of our interdependence can liberate us to build the world we dream about a world of peace liberty and justice not merely for some but for all may all sentient beings be filled with loving kindness may all sentient beings be peaceful and at ease may all sentient beings live with an open heart may all sentient beings be liberated and free that's really nice so the author of this article is a certified spiritual director um, graduate of San Francisco Theological Seminary and the minister of the Un Unitarian Universal Universalist Congregation of Frederick, Maryland. Hmm. So if that article really resonates with you, I would definitely suggest looking into the Unitarian Universalism. There's links at the bottom of this article if you're interested. And the link to this article is going to be in the um, comments or in the details section <coughs> of the episode. It is interesting to see the crossover in spirituality and psychedelics within this realm of um, Unitarian Universalism. So it is happening. There's a lot of barriers coming down and healing is becoming more important than judgment and money so i'm liking what i'm seeing <clears throat> i don't know if i agree with everything in this article and how it was written but i do really appreciate um the information that was provided so hopefully you guys did too i'm sending you love and positive vibes i'm about to go search for the article that i really wanted to present to you um, so hopefully I have that soon for you. Sending you love.